In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Today, actually, we will continue our Bible study from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, starting from verse 11, which is the parable of the prodigal son. Start from verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. In verse 11, our Lord Jesus Christ began the parable with this statement. A certain man had two sons. So he begins by setting the contrast between the character of the two sons. There is younger son and older son. The younger son who left the house because he thought he wanted the absolute freedom to live as he wished without any obligation or commitment to anything except to himself. He is seeking his own pleasures. But the older son, the father's heir, who dutifully served the father and stayed at home. So, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So the younger son asked for the portion of goods motivated by foolishness and greed. He was greedy. He wanted to take his money to spend it in pleasure. And in this parable, the Lord used the example of a father and two sons, not a master and two servants, but a father and two sons. Why? Because the father clearly illustrates the love of God. His love allowed the rebellion of the younger son. Because he loved us, God respect our human will and our freedom even to stray away from him. The father knew that the son, his son, is making a foolish and greedy request, but he allowed him to leave. Verse 13, And not yet many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So, the young man left his house and started actually on living a reckless life because he determined on pleasure to seek every kind of pleasure. And no doubt it was fun for him as long as he had money. So, the word far country here, spiritually or symbolically, means the state of the human spirit 
or the state of the Gentile world because the younger son symbolizes the Gentile while the older son symbolizes the Israel, the nation of Israel. So far country means wandering far off from God. Whether when the human spirit strays away from God or how the Gentiles before Christ were worshipping idols and they wandered far off from God. Uh, then whom we blame here? The free will of the son. The son was completely to blame for the wasteful, foolish living and spending. We cannot blame the father. The father respected the will of the son. Yes, I'm sure he advised him. But at the end, he let the son do as he wanted. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Uh, we cannot blame the severe famine, but the son was afflicted by it. And this affliction was for his best interest. So this suffering led him to repent and return back to the father's house. Sometimes God allow us to go through difficult time, through hardships, that we may repent and return back to the father's house. So his anxiety, his hunger, his homelessness are the result of his rebellion and enslavement to sin. And because this rebellion, he lost the freedom of being a beloved son. Sons are free, slaves are in bondage. So he lost the freedom of being a beloved son to the father. And now, because of his sin, he became under the power of Satan. And this is the condition of every person who actually stray away from God. Verse 15, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Citizen of his country symbolizes Satan. And Satan sent those who cling to him to feed the swine which is considered unclean animals. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pots that the swine ate but no one gave him anything. So driven by hunger and need, the son accepted work that was unacceptable and offensive to any righteous Jewish person. Why? Because the swine were unclean under the law. So 
Now this misery of the prodigal son definitely will move our sympathy. After he was son honored in his house, now he is feeding swine and had desire to fill his stomach with the pods of the swine, but even nobody gave him. But it is this misery that drove him to the good resolution to repent and return to his father's house, as we read in verse 17. As a result of this misery, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. So, the mighty famine here is the yearning of the soul. When the soul is unsatisfied, all the desires of the soul are unsatisfied. We seek pleasure, thinking that this pleasure may satisfy our yearning soul. But nothing, neither the money, nor the pleasures of the world can satisfy our souls. Only the bread that came down from heaven is the nourishment of our soul. So, this famine symbolizes on a larger scale the appetite of the humanity that are not satisfied. Our need is not for bread and not for water, but of hearing the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, we hear there will be a famine, not to bread and water, but to hearing the word of God, to hear this message from eternal Father to give us eternal life. Finally, this son, because of the affliction and the misery, was able to think clearly. In his clear thinking, he did not think of how to improve conditions in the, this far country, how to find a better job, how to find uh, more resources. Also in his clear thinking, he did not blame the father. He did not say, why the father doesn't send me some money? I know he is rich. How come he knows that I am dying from hunger here and he did not send me any money? He did not blame the father. He did not blame his brother. He did not blame his friends. He did not blame anybody. But he recognized that it is his bad decision and bad choices that caused him this misery. So he did not focus on the misery in itself. He recognized it, but not, then did not focus on it. But you focus on the right solution. And where the right solution? 
the right solution is in the father, in the love of the father. He focused on his father. And the Lord Jesus Christ said when he came to himself, as if in these years in the far country, he was not himself. This was his false self, not his true self. The true and real self is the self of the repentant, not the self of the prodigal son and the prodigal living that he was practicing. The false self is the old man with his affections and lusts. But the true self is the self that recognizes God as our Father. So he returned to his right mind. Verse 18, and made a decision, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So, he prepared a speech to say it to his father. And in this speech, he recognized his unworthiness. And he made an honest confession of sin without finding any excuse. He didn't tell him, you treated me harshly and this made me leave your house. My brother bothered me that's why I decided to leave the house. No. He took full responsibility. And this is the meaning of confession. To take full responsibility of your actions. Uh, and he asked the father to treat him not as a son anymore. He knew that he is not worthy to be a son. But he is pleading with the father to treat him as a hired servant. And it's amazing how he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare. What a testimony to the nature of the home he had left. Unfortunately, while he was living at that home, he did not recognize the nature of this home. And when he had money in the far country, he did not recognize the nature of the home. Only he was able to recognize the nature of his home when he lost everything. While he was living in the house, his heart was wholly apart from the house. He was totally immersed in selfish gratification. The father's house never came to his mind as a house of love. But maybe for him, the father's house was a house of bondage and misery. As many of us, we perceive the church 
as bondage, rules, rules. Do this and don't do that. Why all these rules? Why all these commandments? I want to be free. I want to practice whatever I want. Why God telling me, don't do this and don't do that? But when we go to the far country and we suffer from hunger and thirst, then we recognize how the Father's house is the house of love. So now this son, empty, deserted, crushed, perishing, now he is thinking about the home. Home with all its peace, plenty of blessing, freedom, dignity. So he wants to see again the warmth and the living reality of his home. This actually was the first fruits of repentance, to realize the beauty of the house of God, the beauty of the family of God, the mercy, mercy and the loving kindness of God the Father. Now, he remembers that he has a father. He remembers that this father is full of love. So he trusts the father's love. And he knew that he cannot claim the old position of sonship because he recklessly cast away this sonship. Now he is content to be considered only as a hired servant. When we repent, the first impulse of the repentant heart is to take the lowest place. We recognize that we are not worthy. We are not worthy. Do you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the publican? The publican couldn't actually enter from the door. He stood at the back of the temple. He couldn't lift his eyes up to heaven. All what he did, he beat his chest and said, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. So the first impulse of the repentant heart is to take the lowest place. When he said, make me like one of your hired servants, he did not say it out of humbleness, but he said it because uh, he looked at self, at himself in the meanest way. I am not worthy. The hired servants are better than me. So uh, he cannot ask to be treated as a son. He has just a desire to be treated as one of the hired servants, to be fed from the father's table like one of the hired servants. Do you remember the Canaanite woman when the Lord told her it's not good to give the bread of the children to the dogs? How she replied, he told him, but the dogs 
eat from the crumbs that fall from the table of their master. So again, because she realized her unworthiness, she said, I'm not asking for bread. I am asking for the crumbs. He thought it would be an honor to him just to be the lowest in the family, as one of the hired servant, as a doorkeeper in his house, uh, and to be as a doorkeeper in the house, it's better for him than to dwell in the tents of the sinners, or to continue in this hungry and starving condition. As David, when he said, to sit at the gate of the door is much better than to live in the tents of the sinner. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. This means the father was looking for him, waiting for him, and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So, a mere instant of remorse is not enough. Just to feel sorry for your sins is not enough. But a journey must be taken. A return must happen at once. He did not just feel sorry and think about repentance, but he actually did it. He actually arose and went to the father's house. He returned home safely. Yes, he was sad, suffering, poor, deprived, but still safe. Many people who went to the far country unfortunately never left this far country not because the father is not welcoming them but because they had no desire to return to the father's house but definitely any person desire to leave the far country he will be received with joy gladness from the father and we can see how the father was able to see him even from afar off because the father in his love was waiting and he never forgot his son. And once he saw him from afar off, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Amazing love. The parable doesn't mention any kind of punishment. But the emphasis here on the intensity of the father's reception. How he ran. And in this culture, it is unusual for grown men to run. But the parable mentioned he ran to see the father's and the love and compassion. And the word fell on his neck and kissed him. This means repeatedly he kissed him to show this love. 
This son disgraced the family by his prodigal living. But the father received him with love and compassion. His father saw him and had compassion. This whole imagery of this part of the parable tells us how gladly the eternal father will come us the sorrowful repentant. That there will be joy in heaven for one sinner when he returns rather than 99 do not need repentance. And we can see here how the father did not wait until the son came to the house. But he was watching for him. And once he saw him from afar off, his heart was moved with compassion. He rushed to meet him. And all was forgiven. All was forgiven. This son returned weary and hungry, full of wounds from all the years that he lived in a far country. So, the state of the repentant is a state of a person who was poor in spirit, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. His knees are feeble, his hands are hanged down. He is aware of his nakedness and he needs something other than the filthy rags of his own righteousness. He needs the righteousness of the Father. God does not actually oblige any person to return. He respects our free will. But when he sees us coming even from afar off, he will run to us, not to blame us, not to rebuke us, not to punish us, but rather to embrace us and to kiss us. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is part of his prepared speech, not the Holy Speech. The Holy Speech ended by, but make me one of your hired servants. So he did not finish the speech. So the son started to recite his prepared speech and what he determined to say. But the father did not allow him to finish it. The son had a deep sense of his sin and wickedness. And definitely this deep sense of his sin and wickedness increased by the love and kindness of his father and how he received him. St. Augustine contemplates on this by saying, let us understand the coming to the Lord coming to the Lord as a son when he went to his father, means to return to the church, to stay in the church in faith. And in the church we practice a confession of sins 
in an active, methodical, lawful way. It seemed like the father did not even hear the confession of the son to the end. He stopped him. And he told him, don't, don't mention, don't mention that you are no longer worthy to be called my son. No, you are my son. And then he acted immediately to emphasize on the sonship of his returning son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best rope and put it on him. So first thing, the best rope and put a ring on his hand, number two, and sandals on his feet, number three, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, number four, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So it seemed that the father, the father started to treat his son as a son, not as a hired servant. And these four things, the ring, the garment, the sandals, the fatted calf, calf were not necessities. But why the father ordered all these things? to honor his son and to let him know that he is loved. So the father did much more than the needs of the son. The son, all his needs just to fill his stomach from bread. But now he had garment, sandals, ring, and a fatted calf. This rope is the garments of praise. It is the garment of righteousness. It is the new life and immortality which actually we receive when we return back to God. This garment is the wedding garment of the bride of Christ. It is the rope of the righteousness of Christ. That is the garment. The ring the ring is the seal upon the right hand. You know, in the past when people did not write, they had the seal as a ring. So they use the seal to, to sign documents instead of signing by pen. So the ring is the seal upon the right hand. It's a token of special favor of the giver. Uh, it is the seal of his calling and election. God called him and, and chose him. It is the seal that we receive in baptism and chrismation, the seal of the Holy Spirit. The ring that he is a bride of Christ or son of the Father. The shoes it is the preparation and readiness. As we read in Ephesians chapter 6, 15, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Uh, 
Shoes, when we're ready to go to work or to go out, means we are eager to do our work, we, we put on our shoes. So that is the eagerness to preach the gospel, the good news of salvation. The son wants to go and preach all the lost sheep, come and, and return back to the father's house. So it is the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the fatted calf is a symbol of the Eucharist. St. John Chrysostom said, the father did not address his son when he returned, but rather he addressed the servant. The repentant son came to the father pleading, but the father spoke to his servants and to show the merciful deeds of the father through the servants. So who are these servants? Father Theophilactius said the servants are the priests, are the, the ministering souls who perform the baptism, offer the word of God, and pray the Eucharist in order to vest the returning soul with the garment of righteousness. So as if the Father give us instruction, the clergy, how to receive the repentant. Actually, in the vow of commitment, when we ordain a priest or a bishop, he says, and I will receive the repentant when he returns. It is a commandment from the Father to us. We, we have actually to keep this commandment. When a repentant returns to the church, we should not close the doors of the church in front of him, but rather to receive him joyfully. This son lived with unclean swine. He wanted to eat from the pods of the swine. And now he was offered the fatted calf. The fatted calf actually is the communion that restore our relationship with the Father. Make us again part in the body of Christ, members in the body of Christ. So when a person returns back to the church after repentance, he takes communion to abide in the body of Christ. He who eats my body and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the father joyfully said, my son was dead and is alive again. These words to explain all the reason of this joy and entertainment this joy and pleasure because the father acknowledged that his son was dead and lost, but now he is alive and found. And the fatted calf actually represent our Lord Jesus Christ himself. As the father offered his son so the fatted calf in Eucharist 
represent the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he drew near to the house but did not enter the house. The older son never lived a prodigal life. Actually, he's working hard in the field. Even during the time of the returning of the son, he was working at the field. When the son, the older son, came, he heard the music and dancing. So he asked, what is going on? Verse 26. So he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant? Why there is dancing and music? And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he, the father, has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. So the older son, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he learned from the servant about the return of his brother. The word music and dancing is actually expressive image uh, used according to the custom and tradition of the country at that time, how they express joy. Uh, so this outward sign of gladness, the music and dancing, means there is overflowing joy, not only in the heart of the father, but in the heart of everyone in the house. The same should be our attitude who are in the church, in the house of God. When a prodigal son returns, all of us who should be full of joy and happiness, receive him without reprimanding him, without looking down at him, without rebuking him, without judging him. That is the welcoming spirit that we should have when we see a repentant returning to the church. Actually, many have wished that the parable ended here without the closing of this parable by the story of the older son. Because it's a beautiful scene to end this parable here. The father accepted his son. And they asked why the rest of the parable was not another parable about the son. But actually, we should not forget that the children of God has two types. One who live afar off like the younger son. But also, some people who are self-righteous and still living in the house, inside the church, 
But we should not forget that self-righteousness is as sinful as uh, no righteousness. So we have the Pharisees who will serve righteous. And we have the sinners and the publicans, the tax collector. Both of them need repentance. Not only the publicans, but also the Pharisees need repentance. The elder son thought that he is not wicked as his brother. That he doesn't have mistakes. But actually, the sin of self-righteousness, the sin of pride, the sin of arrogance is more dangerous because these sins lead to self-deception. It is easier to repent from any sin like adultery or prodigal living than to repent from self-righteousness. So self-righteousness is a sin as well as unrighteousness. And God offered both a sacrifice of repentance, forgiveness. When he died on the cross, he died for the Pharisees as well as for the publicans, for the sinners. So the eldest son represented the Pharisees who actually thought themselves righteous and condemned even the Lord Jesus Christ. How your teacher is sitting with the sinners and tax collectors. So their conduct is like the conduct of this envious brother. And when the Lord said about the older son, he drew near to the house, mean he came close and took some steps toward entering the house. Like people who are in the visible church. They are here, hearing the word, attend the rituals and the ceremonies inside the church, attend baptism or liturgies, but they never came to Christ in a spiritual way. The Lord said, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts is far away from me. That's the meaning of drew near to the house. They drew near, but they did, did not actually get into connection with God. Sincere of Alexandria said, some refer to the person of our Savior as that fatted calf that the father killed when his son was called to conversion. If anyone imagines that the virtuous and sober son, the older son, means the physical Israel, so, as I told you, the older son represents Israel. How can Israel honestly say that 
he never gave him a calf because the older son blamed the father and he told him, you never give me a calf to rejoice. Actually, Jesus came, the fatted calf came to his own, came to Israel, but Israel rejected him. St. Cyril continues and said, he was not sacrificed only for the Gentiles, but also that he might redeem Israel who by reason of his frequent transgression of the law had brought great blame on himself. So God, when he died on the cross, he died for Israel and the Gentiles, but Israel rejected him. That's why they did not enjoy the calf. They did not enjoy the fatted calf. The fatted calf offered to them. Verse 29, So he, the older son, answered, and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, self-righteousness, and yet you never give me a young goat, blaming the father. Although, as I told you, Jesus died and offered himself for Israel and for the Gentiles. So how? Israel say to God, you never give me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. They rejected Christ. That's why they did not enjoy the young goat or the fatted calf. The older son was not happy that the brother was joyfully received. So his father, out of his love, he came out. He went out to his son and pleaded with him. So we can see how the father loved both equally, the older and the younger son. The younger son did not blame the father, but the older was complainer and blamed the father. He complained and felt it was an insult to his own obedience and faithfulness. I obeyed you and I was faithful to you. I have been serving you in the Greek text, it is, I am your slave. Uh, so he does not say, Father. He did not tell him, but he perceived Father as a master, and he is a slave at his master's house. He did not call him Father. The younger son, he told him, Father, I have sinned. But the older son, he never called him father. So he regarded the yoke of service not as freedom, but as bondage. Some of us, we perceive our service in the church as bondage, not as a freedom. So, yes, he was obedient. He was submissive and conforming to the rules, but all this prompted by fear, the obedience of the slaves, not the obedience of the children. So the language represent the typical thoughts of the Pharisees who perceive themselves never transgressed your commandment. We are self-righteous. They are conscious of no transgression. 
But in that very unconsciousness lies the secret of the absence of any sense of joy. Joy comes from feeling forgiving. You know when the Lord said to Simon, a debtor has two, uh, a man has two debtors, one owed him 500 denarii and other 50, and he forgave them both, and who will love him more? The 50 is like the Pharisees. They feel they, they don't need forgiveness. But the 500, like the sinners, who acknowledge their sins, the younger son was joyful because he received the forgiveness of the father. But the older son, because he felt he never transgressed to the father, then there is no forgiveness he needed, then there is no joy. That's why he didn't have the power to sympathize with the joy of others. His life was a routine and traditional life of obedience and performing religious duties, but not with joy, out of slavery, out of fear, not out of love of the children. And he told him in verse 30, but as soon as this son of yours came, he did not call him my brother, but this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. So the angry older son did not acknowledge the prodigal as his brother, but with lack of respect and scornful words, he said to the father, this son of yours. This expression is expression of great contempt. He did not call him my brother, but this son of yours. To show his contempt for his younger brother, and also his contempt for his father that received him joyfully and generously as he did. Verse 31, And he, the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So the father answers meekly, apologetically, as if conscious that the elder son had some right to complain. So he showed empathy, understanding, and he wanted to justify himself for celebrating the return of the younger son with a feast. It's not time for retaliation. It's time to, to be joyful because he was dead and now alive. 
he was lost and now is found. So, this is natural in the story because that is the aim of the parable to illustrate the joy of finding the lost. There is joy in finding the lost in the returning of the lost sheep. And there is peculiar joy over one sinner repenting even though the 99 be truly righteous and over a prodigal return even though the elder brother be a most exemplary, blameless, dutiful son. As the Lord said, there is a joy in heaven for one sinner return than 99 who did not need repentance. So that is the message of this parable. Yes, it is right to be glad and joyful for the return of my son, the prodigal son, more than you who are living blameless and doing or your duties here in the house. The older brother said, this son of yours, but the father tells the older brother, your brother, he wants to remind him, he wants to awaken his conscience, he wants to shake this ill-tempered, angry, cruel son to tell him that this person is your brother. And you have a duty toward your brother and toward your father. Uh, and also maybe uh, he is rebu rebuking him gently and tenderly. You told me son of yours, but this son of mine is also your brother. The elder son had forgotten this, this person is his brother. And he almost denied his own sonship, sonship to the father because he did not call the father father. So he denied even his sonship to the father. So as if he is saying, this son of mine to whom I show mercy is your brother. To whom you should show tenderness and affection, especially as he is no longer the person he was. Now he returned. Now he is repentant. Now he is alive and found. He was dead in sin, but now he is alive by the power of God. He was lost, lost to you, lost to me, lost to himself, lost to God, but now he is found. He will be comfort to all of us. He will be comfort to me, a father. He will be a help to you, a brother. And a standing proof that God receives sinners to all generations. So the father in this parable manifests his love for the elder son, who symbolizes uh, Israel. And he reminds his elder son, an heir 
that the younger son must be restored to the family and his restoration must be celebrated in the communion meal. So this actually is a prophecy about the restoration of the Gentiles and the Gentiles and Israel, both of them will eat from the communion meal from the Eucharist, the body of Christ. Also, it is in direct warning the Lord gave his people of the old covenant, Israel, that they must be prepared to welcome the repentant of the Gentiles into the kingdom that the Lord has established. So the purpose of this parable He's sending a message to Israel. You need to be ready to receive the Gentiles into the body of the church. So the older son has to make a decision. Will he accept the father's rebuke and welcome his younger brother back into communion, into the family of God? Or will he reject the younger brother and harm his relationship with the father. His relationship, I mean the relationship of Israel with the father. Unfortunately, the parable ended without telling us that the elder son entered into the house. We are not told what decision the elder brother made. But we know from the book of Acts that many of the Jews rejected the economy of God for the restoration of the Gentiles into the family of God, into the gospel of salvation. In chapter 15, there are three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. In each of the parables, the message to the tax collector and sinners was clear. Repent, come home to the Father, and you will be accepted. There is also a message to the religious leaders of Israel. Be happy when the lost are found, when they repent and come home to the Father. And as a whole, we may say that these three parables suggest the searching, the seeking work of the shepherd in the parable of the lost sheep. The Holy Spirit working in the, through the church in the parable of the lost coin and the heavenly father in the parable of the uh, prodigal son. So the Holy Trinity work and seeking for the sinners. Unfortunately, until now, people who are in the church, they don't welcome the return of the sinners. They have attitude toward them, a judgmental attitude. And I wonder how we consider ourselves children of God who desire the return of the sinners while we ourselves act like the older son rejecting to accept the return of the sinners. This actually concludes 
chapter 15 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.